I know a lot of you have had this experience because for those of us who in 2020 were all sent home and we were stuck in a lockdown during the pandemic, we had a lot of time on our hands and I saw an ad for Masterclass and I thought, I want to better myself. I want access to all of these brilliant people who teach you things. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. Masterclass is the only streaming platform where you can learn and grow with more than 200 plus of the world's best and smartest. For just under 10 bucks a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to every instructor. And I don't care, you can wake up one morning and say, I want to learn about business. And then another where you say, I want to learn how to survive in the wild if I have no water and no fire to make me warm. You can access Masterclass on your phone, on your computer, smart TV, or even in audio mode. And the classes totally make a difference. Don't wait another moment to start your learning journey with Masterclass. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com slash Liz. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Liz. Masterclass.com slash Liz. Ah, beginnings. It's the beginning of 2021. Hi, everybody. You know, I was thinking about beginnings. So many of my podcasts feature hugely successful people and their beginnings, which are not by nature easy. You know, if you were to roll it back a few years to my beginnings in the TV news business, my first paid job, forget the internship, my first paid job in TV was as a minimum wage production assistant at KCBS Channel 2 News in my hometown of Los Angeles. And oh yeah, it's very glamorous. I would wake up at 3 a.m., go to the station, which back then was on Sunset Boulevard and Gower. Okay, not chic. I'd get a news car. I'd go to a newsstand. This was pre-computers, right? Go to a newsstand on Hollywood Boulevard, still dark out, and load up with 400 newspapers, LA Times, LA Weekly, Wall Street Journal, The Trades, you know, Daily Variety, Hollywood Reporter. And then I would distribute them through the building, which was a city block long. You know, and in in the next couple of hours of the day, I would I would run around trying to learn as much as I could. I would follow the reporters around to the point where they were like, could you get away from me. Um, but I would look at the greats, Connie Chung, Diane Sawyer, Katie Couric, and I would think, one day that's gonna be me. You know, all of us in TV news, by the way, have had to sling the hash, start at the bottom. You see us on TV and you think, oh, somebody gave her a break. But in this extraordinary time, I thought, let's introduce you to one of our own with an inspiring beginning that included hard work, a lot of schlepping, and no glamour, Fox correspondent Jackie Heinrich started her on-air career in Colorado Springs at a small station. She worked as a one-woman band, editing, shooting, writing, reporting. Today, she's Fox's national news correspondent taking center stage, covering President-elect Joe Biden's every move. Jackie, welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, thrilled to have you. I mean, 2020. What a year for reporting. I, I mean, I, I got to start with that. I mean, do you have a highlight of your coverage of the past year? Oh, my gosh. You know, I, I have a lot of highlights and lowlights. I think one of the challenges of covering this election was it was so different from every election before it that you almost couldn't look to any example to understand you know, how to go about what we were handling. 
um, a big challenge was just making contacts from my hotel room because Biden, you know, not doing a lot of travel, not having a lot of events. Um, you didn't get those opportunities to mix and mingle with people and build the sources that I think are, you know, come with working a campaign trail. So that was a big struggle. Um, but then also just being able to watch, uh, you know, you're following a certain candidate and watch that progression go from the very beginning to the very end with a lot of ups and downs, not really knowing what the outcome was going to be. Uh, that was gratifying to like get to that point and, and have a conclusion and be able to finish the project. See, I, I thought you would say the drone show, uh, the drone show that <laughs> night that that Kamala Harris came out with Joe Biden they elbow bumped, they fist bumped. I mean, it was just, it was a really fascinating moment to watch that. You know, lots of firsts here. And then the drone show was such a surprise. How are they doing that? You were there. I was there. And you know, it's funny. Um, Joe Biden looked as surprised as anyone to see that drone show. If you go back and look at like the pictures of his face, he looks like a little kid. He's just like marveling at his name in, you know, in drone lights. So that was pretty fun to watch. And, you know, you mentioned Kamala Harris. I mean, that was just such a significant moment for her, um, for women of color, for women in general to reach that, um, you know, have that kind of an achievement. And her speech stuck with me because, uh, she talked about how, you know, she might be the first, but she wouldn't be the last. And there were sort of paying homage to people who came before her. And uh, being able to witness that in that moment was pretty cool. You're too young. But when I was in, I don't know, fourth grade, Shirley Chisholm, African-American woman, ran for president. And all the girls, we all banged together and said, Chisholm for president. And that was Oh, my God, decades ago. So to finally see it, you know, after Geraldine Ferraro, of course, was a candidate. But wow, a big, big moment. And and I love I love that you're telling us that Biden looked surprised because we honestly did not really see that. That's what I like about your perspective, because you see all the, the behind the scenes things. But speaking of behind the scenes, I want to take it behind the scenes to your career, because we are remarkably similar but in different parts of the country. You also interned, correct? I did. Tell us about that. So uh, I did not plan on going into journalism. I was going to school for international affairs and working on Capitol Hill as a, an intern for a congressman. And I watched Nora O'Donnell, she was at the time the chief Washington correspondent at MSNBC, do an interview about a, a bill I had been doing a lot of work on. And I was just so blown away at the reach and that that story had um, that I contacted her producer and said, how do I do what she's doing? Um, and it was my first sort of like dipping my toe in the water, not knowing at all. I didn't know what a Vosat was in my first job. So there was a lot of like <laughs> figuring it out along the way. But um, she ended up hiring me as an intern and I worked for her for about a year. I would, she'd send a car for me at my apartment at like four in the morning. And uh, I felt so special because I was in the back of this like Cadillac and getting a ride to, you know, MSNBC. <laughs> and I thought it was so cool. And then I would sit there like in the dark alone, going through all the papers. And my job was to put together like a list of all the headlines and really like break down a summary for her so that when she was in hair and makeup, she could read through that. And sometimes I would write, you know, bits of copy. And she told me that I was good at it. And if I wanted to do that in the future, I should learn how to do the on-camera stuff. So I 
got an internship down the hall. She recommended me to the local station. And um, there, Ron Leitelmeyer, who is the chief photographer at NBC Washington, you know, took me under his wing, taught me how to use the cameras, edit. Um, and I followed the reporters around and did my own version of their story and sort of made a little mock-up demo reel that I hawked around all over the country and was lucky to, to land a job because most people, you know, who I was competing with for even these entry-level jobs had, you know, anchor experience in their, you know, college news station, at least knew what a VOSOT was. I didn't. <laughs> so. Well, I, I'm glad you brought up the cameraman aspect. They are the drivers of most of our careers. I but for the camera crews at CBS News would not have a career today. They helped right. me shoot my resume tape. They guided me. They coached me. Yep. And then they told me how I could break through to news directors so many, you know, thousands of miles away where I was sending a tape to go into the pile of other tapes of people who had worked at other television stations on camera. So, you know, it's that first job that is so hard. But you just also said something that that really, really is important. Before the sun came out, you were at MS toiling away, just like I was at CBS, toiling away <laughs> at four in the morning. People think this is glamorous. And it is in its own way if you really want to do it. But they think, oh, you know, it just happened. We're on television. We, we have the fake eyelashes and we're all, you know, in our outfits and all. No, 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 no. We schlepped. So from there, you got that job in Colorado Springs. I did. And I did more schlepping. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I look back actually now um, and realize that like a lot of the stuff that I was doing, I think uh, we consider it to be like dangerous and illegal now. Like I was operating a, um, an ENG truck alone. Like now we have regulations saying like you have to have one person, you know, putting the mask up and watching to make sure you don't hit the telephone wires while, you know, the person on camera is far away. There are just so many regulations and in a tiny little market where there's not a lot of a budget and you're making do with what you have. And there are oftentimes, you know, a lot of news hours. You're just going, going, going and, you know, you're on your own. So I remember one um, memory that sticks with me. It was the Waldo Canyon fire and there were two fires the Waldo Canyon fire the first year and then the black forest fire uh, the following year. And I believe it was 389 homes burned the first year and then it was 500 plus the second. So this was like Colorado was a tinderbox. It was, a, you know, yeah. a drought. And anytime, you know, something goes up in flames, everyone just sort of buckles down and wonders when they're going to have to evacuate. And so they sent me, my station sent me out into this area where we were positioning our few crews so that when things did get evacuated, um, we would have, you know, people where we needed to be if roads got closed, you couldn't get there. I ended up getting um, stranded out there for quite a, a while by myself. Um, and I was fine. I was safe, but I was, you know, I couldn't get out. Um, just because of the closures. And I was, you know, talking to my uh, assignment desk over the phone and they were telling me how to try to dial in a, a satellite shot. And I'd never used a satellite before. And I was, they're like, you know, if you do this wrong, you could bump CNN off the air. So make sure you do it exactly <laughs> right. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm making 18 grand a year. Everything's burning around me. <laughs> I've been eating cheese sticks and, you know, trail mix for the last few days. I'm, I was evacuated. My cat was at the station. 
Um, <laughs> so it was just, you know, there's stuff like that that just like really kind of shapes you. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and it, you know, it makes you a, a better, better person, a better journalist, faster um, and, and easier, I think, to go back to like the, the basics of your job, which is to understand people's like experiences and be able to talk to people. And um, so I'm grateful for all of those. Well, I think that people, <laughs> most people will stay where they grew up and they should not. Um, for me to leave LA and go to Columbus, Ohio, which was my first market. My, I mean, people I went to high school with were saying, wait, I'm sorry, you're going to Ohio? They could not wrap their minds around that. Quite frankly, neither could I. But what I learned from all the people at my station at the time, the talent, which Paula Zahn, Ann Curry, I was driving Ann Curry around, Jim Lampley, Pat O'Brien was, they all started somewhere else. And it gives you a feel for the country. And without taking those flying leaps, you don't get to Fox. You don't get to NBC News. You don't get to CBS or ABC. It just, honestly, unless lightning strikes, it just does not happen. How did Fox happen? Um, so it, it kind of happened out of nowhere. Um, I was in my third market. I was in Boston as a weekend anchor and reporter. I worked and I was at so Boston happy. too. Where did you work? I was at the Fox affiliate. I was at WEW, uh, no, WHDH, WEWS was Cleveland. No way. <laughs> Columbus, oh Cleveland, God. Boston. Yeah, WHDH Channel 7. If it bleeds, it leads. That's so funny. Yeah. I was at WFXT. It was, it was not a Fox affiliate anymore. It had just been, but actually there's an interesting story about that. Um, I, when I was in my second market, when I was in Vegas, um, I had wanted to come home and Fox was, you know, ab about to do its trade where we swapped with the Bay Area station for ownership. I think it had a lot to do with like football. Um, I didn't know what was going on, but I was like, OK, there's a you know Fox station in Boston. I just wanted the first opportunity to get home. Um, and because I had never had, you know, a, an opportunity to live and work in my home market because it was a larger market. Sure. And um, whatever was going to come up, I was just trying to get there. The swap happened in between when my contract in Vegas ended and when my job started in Boston. So I ended up coming in to work for, in large part, people who I had not interviewed with. Um, and so it was a, a little bit of an interesting uh, transition because the job that I thought I was coming in for didn't end up being the job that I worked because hmm. um, there was a little bit of a, um, they brought in some of their own people and you, you know how it is, uh, competition and on-air jobs. So. I ended up working as a reporter for three years at night um, and then trying to get onto the anchor desk. When I finally was promoted to this anchor spot, almost out of nowhere, um, the main anchor at my station, and this relates to another part, uh, another thing I want to mention just about women in news and how um, supportive they've been throughout my career. She uh, had been contacted by her agent who repped a lot of Fox people and said, hey, do you know of anyone who would be a good fit for this job? And she said, Jackie. And nice. So I had just settled into the job that I had thought I was going to get three years ago, three years prior. I had I was in it for like another contract and thought I was going to finally be doing what I wanted to be doing. And then this opportunity came up. And uh, it's sort of one of those things where, you know, you have to take it. I mean, there was just not a, a a split second of doubt in my mind that that was where what I wanted to ultimately do. But I really thought I was going to have to, you know, wait a couple more years before that kind of an opportunity would come up. 
and um, everything moved pretty quickly. And I came to to Fox and I interviewed with um, Amy Kim and Lauren and those three and Mike Shapiro as well. And of course, Jane Suzanne, but Amy Kim and Lauren, um, when I sat in the room with them and I saw these three female executives who were just so down to earth, I felt like I was having a conversation with people I'd known my whole life. And I was like, this is home. Like, this is, this is where I want to be. And um, I've never, you know, looked back. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we'll be right back. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. What I think is an important thread here is that I mean, do you really want to move to Colorado Springs? Do you really want to then up and go to Vegas? And then do you really want to go to Boston? Yes, this is what we did and we do because each move is on an upward trajectory. Mm -hmm. And most people want to stay in the same place. And then they also want to be on television. Well, it doesn't really work that way. And opportunities are going to fly past you. And these packages you don't recognize, you've got to grab them. Yeah. Were you a political animal? I mean, clearly you had been working with a congressman, so you love the Washington aspect of all of that, correct? Yes. Um, I had always been interested in politics, even when I was in local news and when I was in Colorado, you know, covering the 2012 election, um, was always volunteering for any political stories, whenever a candidate would come through, um, whenever even local politics, um, governor's races, sheriff's contests, um, I was always interested in politics and and wanting to cover it and pitching those kinds of stories all the time. It's just been something that I gravitate toward in the news that I read and that I watch. Um, so when I was working in, in New York for the New York Bureau and an opportunity came up to um, start doing podcasts actually for the rundown and started doing a, a Sunday panel, a political panel every Sunday, I was like, this is exactly what I want to be doing. And so when the um, election and the, the trail came up and they asked if I was interested, it was like, uh, yeah, absolutely. Like I'll pack right now. <laughs> so. Well, now you are basically stuck to Joe Biden's side following every single move that he makes. And yet when when I looked at you, I thought, wait, doesn't she live in New York City? 
and you do, but you don't. Talk to our viewers and listeners about what they don't know regarding your daily life right now. So when I joined the politics team, Amy Stonen said to me, I hope you have a good set of luggage. And I kind of laughed it off. And I was like, yeah, I have a suitcase. You know, I, I didn't realize exactly what she meant, <laughs> that I would be living out of these bags and I'd be on a plane, you know, every every single day for the, until we were in a, a lockdown. I mean, I was in right before things shut down. I think I was in 10 states in seven days. Whoa. And so, you know, you never unpack. Um, you get used to like, you know, washing your delicates in the sink and buying <laughs> disposable socks, <laughs> um, the, the cheap stuff you can just throw away and, you know, Amazon prime yourself another pair at your next hotel where you're going to be at. <laughs> uh, so I've sort of learned those, those tricks. And then, um, there were three months where I was working at home. That was a, a really weird time because everyone, including the, the Biden staff, um, I think they were recalibrating too. Like, how do you, you know, reach constituent or how do you, you reach voters yeah. when you don't have events? So trying to sort of figure out how they were going to do it and how that would influence my coverage what, and how, you know, how I could ask questions and, and get, you know, calls answered and emails returned when there aren't events where those, you know, headlines come up naturally. So that was a little bit different. And then when uh, he became the nominee and it was like toward, toward the end of the race, um, I came out to Wilmington and I've been basically hunkered down here in Wilmington since August, um, a little bit before the DNC. And then tell us where you are. I am in the crown jewel of Delaware at the the Westin Wilmington. (laughs) Um, I was telling you before, you know, my, the the staff here uh, now know me so well that they, my birthday was in November and they got me a birthday gift basket and it had my favorite chapstick and like the wine that I always get from the lobby bar in there. (laughs) It's like, I've had, you know, I had Christmas here. I had New Year's here. I had my birthday here. Um, I am wherever Joe Biden goes and he does have events occasionally at the queen um, down the street. I feel like I could, you know, find any, I've been to every single restaurant in Wilmington. I love it when he goes to his beach house in Rehoboth because I get a different, you know, set of food options. What's the best restaurant in Wilmington that you love? Ooh, okay. Um, I'm going to say Walter's Steakhouse. They've got a good prime rib. It's delicious. And may I just say to our listeners, Jackie knows food. You have... (laughs) An, uh, what is it? A, a Instagram show called Getting Fat with Jackie? It's a yes. show? It's that, so, okay, this happened in quarantine and I have loved to cook my whole life, but, you know, during quarantine, it, it was something I was doing more often than I had been, you know, before restaurants closed down because you're in New York City, you've got so many options, you know, you get a bite after work or whatever. I wasn't cooking at home as much as I was when I had to. And so I found that, um, you know, a lot of my recipes were are simple. And I had friends asking me like, hey, can you send me the recipe for your Tuscan white bean soup? And I, they're like, oh, well, what do you do? You use a Dutch oven? Like, how do I, where do I get that? And so I just started <laughs> putting it on Instagram. Well, lo and behold, people loved it. And now I have more people asking me, when are we getting fat again? Uh, than commenting <laughs> on my actual reporting. <laughs> so, <laughs> 
<laughs> I love it. Um, that's the one downside of living in the West End is I don't have a stove here. Um, so I can't wait until I'm, you know, back in a kitchen again. Oh, I can only imagine. But this is the life of a correspondent and you kind of have to live for it. And and at some point, you you look at your world and you say, I've ceased to really understand what's normal. And this becomes a time where we're all workaholics. And and my sisters back in LA will say, Liz, it's not normal that you're waking up at this hour and doing this or moderating this. And then you're running over to Omaha, Nebraska and interviewing Warren Buffett. And then you don't stop and you're a mom and this and that. I mean, it does take a toll on your social life at some point when you have a moment to breathe and look and see. Yeah. I don't think I've even really had a chance to unpack what the last year has been only because, you know, you, you prepare for this sprint and then ends up being a marathon. Like the election didn't end on November 3rd. Um, I was still covering it. And even now, um, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of stories are still coming out that deal with, um, you know, claims relating to whether or not the, the, results are contested. And so there has never been sort of this like endpoint where now you're very much, you know, in this mindset where it's done and, you know, you, you look onto the next thing because half of, um, you know, one half of the ticket uh, has not accepted the, the um, results. And so that has been sort of just like a mentally strange space to be in where you, you feel like you're going to be done at a certain point and then you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I think also just because I'm not home and I haven't been home. I, I, I was home for a weekend a little while ago, swapping out some clothes and I don't often go every weekend that I have because by the time I work nights. So by the time I'm done at midnight, I sleep in on my day off. By the time I get to New York, it's like, you know, afternoon. And then 24 hours later, I have to turn around and come back to get ready to do Fox news Sunday. So um, I don't always go home on my weekends, but when I did, uh, I took a shower and I got, went out into my room to get dressed and I pulled a pair of socks out of an actual drawer. And I marvel <laughs> at the fact that I had drawers. I haven't been using them. You know? So I can't wait to have those things, you know, not surprise me anymore. <laughs> What's the best trick when it comes to traveling and clothes and wardrobe? I mean, there's so many hacks. I remember reading once that Gary Bettman, the National Hockey League commissioner, will travel with his best suit and the minute he lands he'll hang it up in the bathtub and turn on the steam Mm -hmm. turn on the hottest water so that he can steam it out because he usually inevitably arrives after you know the dry cleaning person picks up at the last pickup so there are all kinds of little hacks that i discovered too um and it's like never travel without an hermes scarf because you can just throw it on something and it'll make something look good or an an old outfit look new but give me your best hack so i try to keep my entire outfit pretty neutral with the exception of a blazer like i will have black pants or jeans um a nude white or black top I've been wearing a lot of bodysuits because they can go under anything. Um, and then you can swap out your blazer. I mean, I'll, I'll have like 10 different blazers with me and that'll take up the majority of my space. Um, but then everything else is just sort of interchangeable. I never buy a fabric that cannot be, uh, that has to be dry cleaned or, or ironed because every time you pull it out, it's just like, you, you can't depend on it being in good shape. 
um, spraying hairspray on a crease and pulling it. Uh, that's another quick way to get a fold out of something. Um, the hanging it in the shower to, you know, steam out some wrinkles. I've done that many, many times. Uh, what else? Have you used, I've used lip gloss for blush and blush for lip gloss. Oh, absolutely. Done all absolutely. of that. Uh, yeah. So these are all very girly things, but the men do them too. I can tell you that. Let's say that as the actual vote went, and as the Electoral College went, Joe Biden will be in the White House. Will you move to D.C.? And what do you think that first year, those first, well, let's put it at first 200 days, will be like? I would love to move to D.C. And we're figuring out, you know, what my next, I, I don't even know what I'm doing January 21st. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll see We'll see when that uh, all comes together. But I would love to go to Washington. Um, I think that this administration is going to be characterized by a great, you know, push-pull within the Democratic Party. And then also um, whether the question of whether or not uh, Joe Biden follows through on his promise to be a, a leader for all Americans. You know, does he put a Republican in, in his cabinet? Um, does he work across the aisle? Um, or does he succumb to pressure from the far left of his party um, to make good on some of the promises that um, he made to win over their support when, you know, big figures like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders dropped and, you know, sort of mobilized their voter base uh, around Joe Biden. So I think there's going to be a lot of that. Isn't there a happy medium? I mean, most of this country is centrist. Let's just be honest. So can he do a little bit of the progressive stuff? But also, I mean, there's word that he would put a Meg Whitman who ran for you know, office in California, that she would be in there. Uh, possibly the former governor of Ohio, John Kasich. Uh, these centrist Republicans. I mean, I just think that's what Lincoln did. He brought in his enemies or so-called enemies and put them, you know, in his cabinet. It's just an important step for healing. And Biden has said he'd do it. I think that um, Joe Biden as an individual would want to do that. I mean, you have to remember, he's the he is, has cut deals. Um, he was in the Senate for you know more than thirty years. He's worked across party lines um, on issues dating back decades. I mean, Mitch McConnell was the only Republican senator who went to his son Bo's funeral. These have these guys have known each other for a long time, and so I think yeah. that he very much wants to follow through on that. I also. Th think that there are uh, a number of, of identity-based groups that are really exerting pressure on him. And um, you see that play out in some of his cabinet choices where, you know, maybe the, the person that Biden has a, a relationship with might be put on the back burner to consider, you know, some of his other promises, like having a diverse cabinet, a diversity of ages and races and genders, um, and have true representation that you know has been such a fundamental part of his campaign platform. And you're going to have groups that are continuing um, to demand that of him. And I think that he has um, made a lot of efforts to follow through on that. But the question is, you know, how does this play out in his legislative agenda? Um, do these groups continue to, you know, exert influence in a way that maybe the Joe Biden who would cut deals with Republicans, you know, isn't the only voice in the room? We'll see. 
Well, you've come a long way, baby, since uh, the one one man band, as we called them, you know, shooting, editing, writing and reporting, doing it all. And here you are at the apex of political coverage. Congratulations. And uh, we love the story. We love the climb. And thank you so much for sharing that with us, Jackie. Thanks so much for having me, Liz. This was so fun. Watch Jackie Heinrich on Fox News, and she does the podcast. She does the getting fat with Jackie on Instagram. <laughs> oh, my gosh, the cooking show. I love it. It's great to have you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. And thanks to all of you guys. Here we are, 2021. And uh, watch that money. Boy, we interesting start to the first session of trade for the year, Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern. It's the Claim and Countdown on the Fox Business Network. I'll see you next time. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.